Roll tight, everybody, and welcome to Bama Talk. I'm Steve Sample, and we're glad you're going to be listening today because we've got it going on with a special guest that's been part of the sports scene around here since the 60s as a writer, a radio talk show host, and just an all-around good guy. Ben Cook's going to be with us in just a few minutes, but before we bring him in, we're going to take time to talk a little recruiting. Once again, Coach Saban and his staff combed the country, cultivating another crop of top talent. And when you combine their work ethic with the fact that it's easy to attract elite athletes to a process that creates so much success, it made signing day a well-done deal. For the fifth time in the last six years, Rivals.com rated the Crimson Tide's recruiting class number one in the nation. ESPN, Max Preps, and 24-7 Sports also had the Tide at the top spot on their list, and Bama finished fourth with Scout.com. There were 25 total signees, including seven January enrollees that started school this semester, so they'll get to go through spring training, the fourth quarter program, and the off-season strength and conditioning workouts that play such an important part in the Built by Bama mantra. According to the rating services we just mentioned, this year's class can count six five-star players. Jonathan Allen, Reuben Foster, Robert Foster, Derrick Henry, O.J. Howard, and Sean Robinson. Allen, Foster, and Henry were named Parade All-Americans. Nine players took part in the Under Armour All-America game. Five participated in the U.S. Army All-America Bowl game, and eight were members of USA Today's 2011 All-USA High School team. The four running backs we signed, Derrick Henry, LT Tenpenny, Tyron Jones, and Alvin Kamara, were all rated in the top 81 players in the nation. What's interesting about this bunch of running backs is that while the press tends to think they stress about having too much competition, Alvin Kamara and Tyron Jones were texting each other before their signing ceremonies Wednesday morning morning about how excited they were about playing together at Bama. They knew each other growing up, so fretting over competition is funny to them. You know, it wasn't until the 60s that college football recruiting really started attracting attention, and then it was only from a small number of people, mainly those that had some connection to coaches and the players themselves. But by the 70s, it had gone from a few back-page paragraphs in the paper to being the subject of intense interest. By the 80s, Forrest Davis had begun publishing an annual recruiting guy that was snapped up the minute they stocked the shelves with it, and he wound up doing a weekly radio show that developed a lot of loyal listeners, including yours truly. Uh, Recruiting's popularity exploded in the 90s, and now it's a legitimate industry that operates on some level 12 months a year. Now, one way to get a good grasp of the growth of it is to take a look at how Bama's recruiting budget has ballooned in the last few years. For the 2011-2012 school year, Alabama spent $930,000 in an effort to enroll elite-level student-athletes, which was actually a decrease in spending from the previous season. Interestingly, only 52% of those funds were for football, which is one factor that explains the success Alabama's having with other sports. The 279% increase in the recruiting budget from 2006 to 2010 might seem extravagant until you consider the exceptional successes this investment's made possible. Most D1 football programs, about 80% actually, operate in the red every year, whereas the Crimson Tide consistently creates an annual surplus, so the athletic department is totally self-sustaining Alabama because football pays the way for all the other sports we play. 
Auburn actually outspent Alabama for the 2011-2012 season, spending $950,000, but only 45% of that went to football recruiting. So the amount both schools spent for football was essentially the same, but there's overwhelming evidence that just throwing money at situations doesn't always lead to the desired outcome. Government's proven that time and time again. I think what makes Coach Saban and his staff so successful at signing student-athletes is just plain old determination. These guys work hard. After Reuben Foster decommitted from Bama and committed to Auburn, they never gave up on him. Kirby Smart stayed the course and sowed the seeds that would lead to Foster turning back to the tide. And for all those out there that like to look down their nose at the notion that these athletes are also students, I'm proud to say the guys that play football at Bama actually have a higher graduation rate as a group than the general student body. Bryant Hall's been turned into an awesome academic center. Players have access to tutors for every course, and there's close monitoring of classroom and study hall attendance. Most players not only graduate, but many do so ahead of time, and some live with more than one degree. As good as their one-loss record looks, they really do hit the books, because the process is about passing every test, not just being the best at ball games. Like I mentioned a minute ago, Ben Cook's one of the favored few that's had a bird's eye view of the way the scope and the scale of the sports scene has changed over the years, especially as it relates to recruiting and the football program in general at Alabama. Ben, it's just a real treat to have you with us today. I've always enjoyed your writing, and I never finished reading something you wrote feeling like you were out to get somebody. And I was a regular listener when you did a daily uh, radio show with Herb Winches back in the day. How are you doing these days, and what are you up to? Well, I'm doing a lot of uh, different radio shows. In fact, I'm I'm a guest on three stations regularly, and it, the funny thing is, they're all over the country. One's in Laramie, Wyoming. One's in Honolulu, and uh, then of course there's Huntsville and Mobile and Pensacola. So I'm still doing quite a bit of radio, and I'm writing for Lindy's uh, sports magazines and their website. Oh, that's fabulous. I didn't know you were in such global demand. That's that's great news. Uh, I know, well, it surprised me, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, I know we're friends on Facebook. You need to let us know what's going on out there, because I know there are an awful lot of people out there like me that would uh, love to be able to access whatever you're doing, if they can, you know, whether it's uh, online or through uh, whatever mediums they're working in. You know, I know you were, uh, I believe you went to school at Alabama. Is that correct? That's correct. I worked in the sports publicity office as a student down there. In fact, that's what got me started in my career. Well, that's what I was thinking. Take us back to the beginning of all this, the Ben Cook story, and tell us how you got started in this sports reporting business. Well, yeah, it was really kind of an accident in a way. I, uh, I went in to, you know, Charlie Thornton was, uh, he eventually became AD, but he was the sports information director at Alabama. Yep. And I knew Wayne Atchison, who was uh, the student assistant at that time when I started school there. And I wanted to do what Wayne was doing, which to me, all that meant was I got to go to the ball games <laughs> and get paid $10 a game for doing it. And uh, so I went into Mr. Thornton's office and told him I wanted to go to, go to work for him. And, you know, first he told me that they didn't have any jobs open. And then I did perhaps the boldest thing I've ever done in my life. Uh-oh. I told him, I said, well, you know, I'm going to sit here until you hire me. I'm not leaving. Oh, my goodness. 
And he laughed, and he said, well, I guess we could let you work in the press box giving out, you know, statistics, that sort of thing. So I said, okay. And that got started, and then as it turned out, uh, the Montgomery Advertiser needed somebody on campus to do some writing of the Alabama sports thing. That was really before newspapers started uh, staffing practices and things like that. So he asked me if I could do that. I'd make an extra $50 a month writing for the Montgomery Advertiser. So I said, sure. And I didn't have any idea how to write a story, but as it turned out, I seemed to have a little flair for it. It worked out great. I started stringing for United Press International. Uh, And one thing just led to another. Wayne graduated, and so I moved into the position as the top student assistant in Alabama. And as it turned out, you know, here I am. I'm a student. I was a sophomore at Alabama. Now, what now what years were these? This was in the 60s, I assume? Yes, 1965 is when I, I started. And I started in 64, I started school. But in 65, I started working in the sports publicity office. All right. And uh, one of my jobs, in fact, my biggest job, it turned out at that point, was I had to go to football practice and meet with Coach Bryan after the practice and get some quotes from him to call newspapers with. That was what I had to do. Uh, Yeah, that that was my feeling, too. Every time I walked through the gate, and, you know, they always guarded the gate, but the fact that they let me in always gave me a little bit of a thrill. Oh, it was easier getting into Fort Knox back then than it was getting into practice if you weren't wanted. That's true, and so I was real happy to do this, and that's when I first met Coach Bryan, obviously, and got to know him, and I mean, I was with him every day after practice, and he would give me quotes, and sometimes it would just be me in there, sometimes Charlie Land from the Tuscaloosa News was also in there, but it was just a really special time for me, Uh, you know, all my friends back home was really jealous of me, which I loved. <laughs> oh, so am I. That sounds great. And, you know, 1965 was another back-to-back national championship year. They'd won it in 64, uh, won it in 65, although it started out with that, that blown call at Georgia on that flea flicker by, uh, that Georgia used to uh, purportedly win that game. Uh, then we yeah. had the tie at Tennessee, but we wound up going down to the Orange Bowl and spanking Nebraska 39-28 to in one of the great Orange Bowls of all time. I think they outweighed us about 50, 50 pounds a man. You know, you mentioned Charlie Thornton. Uh, it's, uh, for some reason, uh, especially these games that we used to have at Legion Field, one of, the, one of my greatest memories of Charlie Thornton was when the team got to the stadium and got off the bus, they did the walk around. They usually got there two hours before kickoff. Uh, they were in you know coats and ties, and they took that slow walk around the field before they walked into the dressing room to you know get suited up. Yeah. And, of course, Coach Bryant moves so slow. He's like a big cat walking out there. And he was always the last one And because, uh, you know, he, he understood theatrics, let's face it. <laughs> and he, oh, sure. uh, Charlie Thornton would be walking with him, who was about half his height. But, <laughs> but they'd make that swing from the north end of Legion Field down to the south end and then circle down in front of the student section. And, of course, he always got all kind of cheers and screaming and shouting and a standing ovation. And he'd tip his hat and... Charlie'd be standing there with him, and I, I'd give anything if somebody knows 
where there's a some film of that. There's got to be somebody that that got eight millimeter or pictures of that somewhere because that was just one of those really really great moments about being a Bama fan and in those in those days you know you, you had a much better view of recruit what recruiting was like back in the 60s than most people uh, maybe as far back as the 50s if you have any recollections I, I know there was a lot less media attention back then unless there was some big event like the bobby hoppy case that involved another school and um, some legal matters uh, what was it like in those days for sports writers and reporters as far as recruiting went well, it was pretty easy because nobody really cared about it. Nobody really followed it. They would wait till everything was signed and, you know, the universities would release a list and then people would look at it and the chances are they had never heard of any of those people. Uh, today, you can't go through a high school season without you know, five or six players just about on every team being becoming national figures. And back then, nobody really knew. Now, I did remember that when Kenny Stabler was signed, there was a little bit of a hubbub about that, but that was really the biggest thing that I remember from recruiting back then. There wasn't. There just wasn't much attention paid to it. You know, uh, one little tidbit about Kenny Stabler, who's one of my absolute all-time favorites. Uh, I just I was in junior high school when he was playing, and I thought he was the coolest thing that ever lived. Uh, but at one point in his high school career, of course, he also he was a great athlete and excelled at baseball, which I know you're very very fond of. At one point, and I don't know if he still holds the record, but he held the Alabama State High School record for stolen bases in baseball. Uh, I didn't. I didn't know that. Little known fact. You know, being in the newspaper business in Birmingham, uh, or in, and in this area. Uh, how did Coach Bryant's presence affect how you went about your job in a media market like Birmingham? You know, if it weren't for Bama football and Bryant, what would you have written about back then that would have sold enough papers to keep the presses printing? Uh, probably not much of anything. Uh, it, Birmingham was always an Alabama town, and I know Auburn people feel like they didn't get their due from the Birmingham media, and they probably are right, but... Uh, it was just uh, Coach Bryant had an effect on everybody and certainly affected the media. You were intimidated by him a little bit, and it's not anything he demanded. He he commanded respect. He didn't ask for it. You just felt it when you were around him. Uh, even when I started uh, working in the sports publicity office, you know, you wanted to do well because you wanted to make Coach Bryant happy and you wanted him to be proud of you. So he just had a way of making everybody around him better. Uh, he certainly did that with football players. He took guys that probably wouldn't have played at a lot of schools. For instance, Jerry Duncan. Jerry was just a small guy, but at Alabama he was a lineman. He was a great one. But uh, he would have his ascension into being a star SEC player was strictly because Coach Bryant was able to get the most out of him. Uh, I think Bryant just had that effect on people. Uh, I know he certainly did. Even me, I mean, those of us in the sports publicity office, we weren't on the field. We didn't play, but we felt the responsibility to do our part and to do it up to Bryant's standards. So, 
I really attribute a lot of what I did to Coach Brian and wanting to please him. So he he had that effect on you. You know, I know you're a big baseball guy, Ben, and you've traveled all over the country going to games and visiting the various venues in major markets and smaller ones. When you talk to people in those places, what do they talk about when you tell them you're from down here, and what do they ask you about with regard to your being from down here? Well, I'll tell you a funny story about that. I was in Los Angeles one year. I went out there on vacation, and I decided that the people I was with, we decided we'd go see The Tonight Show, the taping of The Tonight Show. So to do that, you had to get in line about four hours before they opened the door. So the pages come out, and they'll talk to you, and they'll you know find out all the stuff. Well, one of them was talking to me. He found out I was from Alabama, and he found out then I was a sports writer, and he thought that was pretty interesting. Well, he apparently went in and told Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon came out to open each Tonight Show with a little monologue of his own before the show started, and he would come out and talk to the audience. Well, he walks out on stage, and the first thing he says was, where's the sports writer from Alabama? And I said, that's me. And so he came over and talked to me, and he wanted to know about Coach Brian and all this stuff. It, I mean, it, it just it was amazing to me. There I was in Los Angeles talking with Ed McMahon, and he's wanting to know about Coach Brian. Oh, that's that's a great story. I, I've got one that's actually similar to that. Uh, uh, in times past, I used to play a little music, uh, still do, and uh, I was traveling uh, with a group uh, back in 19... 19- 76 we had an engagement at a large uh, concert venue right on the beach in ventura california um, we got about halfway through the uh, concert and uh, the leader was introducing everybody in the group and when he got to me he mentioned that i was from tuscaloosa alabama there were probably five or six hundred people there and as soon as he mentioned my name and where i was from i got this huge roll tide from the back of the room and we 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 weren't 150 yards from the pacific ocean and i'm the only guy in the band that got any kind of reaction other than just polite applause so uh is another story uh speaking of the west coast i i went out to see my dad in uh Washington State a couple of summers ago, so uh, he dropped me off at the airport in Seattle. Uh, well, I had a Bama t-shirt on, going to fly in comfort, and as I walked through the concourse uh, down to where I was going to board the plane, two different people at different times yelled roll tide across the concourse of the airport, and I'm not talking about from just passing by them. They were 40, 50 feet away, and they're hollering, and then I get on the plane and look up, I take my seat, I look up, people are filing past to find a seat, and there's a guy coming down the aisle with a polo on, a white Alabama 2009 National Championship shirt on, and I looked up, and we just did a fist bump, didn't even say anything, just smiled, and he kept walking. So three times in Seattle, Washington, in the middle of July, this happens, and you, you know, you didn't hear anything, anybody hollering about, you know, Washington State or USC or the Vancouver Canucks or anything, any of that stuff. So it's, you know, Bama's a brand name just about anywhere you go on this continent. You know, Ben, you've seen a lot of coaches come and go at Alabama. Some have done very well, been very warmly received, some not so much. What's your take on what made the difference with those guys over the years? Well, uh, again, with uh, Coach Bryant, obviously he set the standard, 
and he was just such a special person. Now, Ray Perkins came in and after Bryant, and I knew Ray pretty well. We, in fact, we had been classmates in some classes, and so I got along with Ray well. But I don't think he was able to really convey his work ethic to the players uh, like Coach Bryant did. Bill Curry did not. Uh, now, Coach Stallings did. He was he was a players' coach and. You know, he was more a player's coach than a fan's coach. The fans sometimes didn't like him because he didn't beat the spread. And to a lot of people, that was the most important thing. But obviously, Saban is, he's Bryant made over. He, he does the same sort of thing. He, he doesn't, I don't know exactly how to say it. It's not like, People are intimidated by him like they were Bryant. They're intimidated by him, but it's mostly because he has a reputation for being hard to get along with. Uh, And that's not necessarily the case, but uh, it is with the general public. You know, media, it's it's a little bit uh, the same sort of thing. Uh, Coach Bryant was always friendly, and he, he was not... You know, he was not personable so much as he was just polite and friendly. But uh, he will always be the coach that people are measured against. And Saban may stay 20 years and win five or six more championships. I don't know. And if he does, that's great. But I don't think in I don't think he'll ever replace Bryant as the face of Alabama football. Now, Coach Bryant had a personal presence, uh, and we talked about this, we've talked about it a number of times on the show here, that uh, if you were ever around him uh, and had access to that persona and that magnetism, you know what I'm talking about. It's actually kind of hard to explain. Uh, Again, I'll just say that when he walked into a room, he became the central figure in that room and the focus of attention in that room regardless of who else might be in that room and i know you know what i'm talking about oh yeah uh, in fact i'll tell you there was one time you talked about the way they went out before the game walked around the field and everything they did that no matter where they were playing sure. yeah and i was in baton rouge one year covering an alabama lsu game coach bryant and the team came walking out and this, uh, you know, everybody's kind of looking, and of course the LSU people are giving him cat calls and all that sort of thing. But the funny thing is, uh, about halfway through his walk, he stopped and walked over to the sidelines, and there was a little kid sitting on the sidelines in a wheelchair. And Coach Bryant went up and spoke to the kid and shook his hand and wanted to spend time with him. Well, up in the press box, Paul Manasseh, who was at that point the sports information director at LSU, said was standing there watching all this, and he he turned to me and said, "Oh my God, he's healing the sick." <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of the way Coach Brown was. People always 
watched him. They always had their eyes on him. Well, you know, I don't know if he healed that little boy, but I tell you what, I bet that boy left that place feeling mighty good about getting to talk oh, to Coach Brown. Oh, I know he did. You know, yeah, I know he did. You know, getting uh, talking about Coach Saban like you were a minute ago, Coach Saban obviously doesn't suffer silliness and dumb questions particularly well. It's obvious he's very driven and he hates having his time wasted. You know, but when he's engaged with mature writers asking good questions, he actually seems to kind of enjoy it in his own way. If you were on the Bama beat these days, how would you go about it that might differ from the way the guys do it now? Well, I think to, to where I would be different would have been in laying the groundwork. Uh, I was never one that wanted to pick at somebody. and When I asked a coach a question, he knew I was going to take his answer and use it right. I, I just never fabricated quotes or anything like that. So my feeling was you lay a groundwork with a coach beforehand, and he knows he can trust you. Now, how easy would that have been with Coach Saban? I don't know. Uh, you're right. He does have kind of a reputation. But I've also seen him when he was doing uh, interviews where they were intelligent questions, and he would give intelligent answers. Maybe a little shorter than a lot of the reporters wanted, but they were intelligent answers. So that's the only difference I think I would be handling it uh, is just because I would try to build a relationship before I really was put in a position of having to ask questions. Well, you know, it, it, I, I, I like that, and, and that's kind of what I expected you to say because of the kind of guy you are. I think what happens is a lot of these reporters, because of the mindset and the sort of attitude they carry into the job these days, um, at least that's imp- this is the impression I get, that there's a, there's it seems to be an underlying um, posture of contentiousness from the get-go and i'm not sure oh, there if, is. you know and they and it's almost like they're they're constantly searching for that gotcha moment yeah it's kind of the woodward and bernstein approach to sports writing which i i never liked but uh you know a lot of the reporters saw what happened with woodward and bernstein and they're looking for something that they can do the same way they they just feel like they gotta find something they just don't be, they're not satisfied with writing intelligent articles that inform or entertain. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a shame. It's given sports writing a black eye. I tell you one thing you can kind of make a comparison with the Skywriters Tour used to be a great thing. That was back before they had the Media Day Circus here in Birmingham. Uh, yeah, it took, the, it took the old prop plane, yeah. Yeah, it was an old plane. It was leaking oil, and it <laughs> was just, I mean, it was a real trip. And they would load up a bunch of writers and a few reporters and TV people and fly all over the Southeastern Conference. Well, back in those days, the coaches, uh, for the most part, we're happy to see you, and, and most of them would spend time with you. In fact, if you were spending the night in this particular city, uh, the coaches would come over to the hotel a lot of times and go to the hospitality room and sit around all night with you talking and, you know, throwing back a beverage or two. And no. Yeah, you know, uh, a few of them did, yes. <laughs> uh, 
Johnny Majors was the, the most fun coach because whenever we spent the night in Knoxville, you could just count on him being in the hospitality room all night long. Uh, he would love his give and take with the writers, and uh, he would tell stories, and it was just a fun thing to do. Well, they brew, now, they, they brew their own up there anyway, right? Well, yeah. But nowadays, because it got so big, they couldn't find a plane big enough to carry them around anymore. So now they have this one media day thing here where the coaches come here. They fly in. They're ushered in with guards and protected and sheltered. And as soon as they do their prerequisite interviews, they're out of there. Yep. And, you know, the uh, give and take, you just don't have it anymore with coaches. And that's uh, that's a shame, but let's face it, part of that is because we have earned that. We have the writers, the industry itself has earned that by, you know, any time a coach messes up in any way, they're quick to jump on it oh, and make yeah. headlines out of it. Well, we all love looking at a car wreck, even though we've all, all all already seen plenty of them. Hey, you know, Ben, I used to really love to listen to a series of commentaries you did called Cook's Corner. Uh, do you have one of those with you today? Well, let's see. I'll I tell you what I did. Uh, in fact, I can. I got my computer sitting here. I can pull it up. I did one recently, just a, a short one that I put on Facebook because, yeah, it's the only place that I really felt comfortable in doing a, a uh, editorial kind of thing. Well, we'd because love I, to have it if you got it with you and don't mind sharing it with us. This came about really because of the fact that, you know, we just passed the, the anniversary of Coach Bryant's death. And I was thinking a lot about him. Yep. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll set you up, introduce you, and you take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Cook and Cook's Corner. Okay, last weekend's 30-year anniversary, the death of Coach Paul Bear Bryant sparked a lot of memories of the former Alabama coach by many media outlets. I was well most were well-intentioned, and they came from people who knew and worked with Bryant. They were heartfelt and offered some degree of comfort for the reporter by allowing him or her to share those special moments. A lot of Bryant memories uh, I have, but the last one was perhaps one of the most special. It was about two months before Bryant died, and I was visiting with him before he spoke to the Birmingham Monday Morning Quarterback Club. I gave him a copy of a book I had just written on the history of Crimson Tide football called Legend in Crimson. Bryant looked over some of the photos in the book, and he looked at me then and smiled. You wrote this, he asked. When I said that I did, the coach smiled again and said, I'm proud of you. It was a simple sentence that would live with me for the rest of my life. Knowing that one of the greatest football coaches in college football history was proud of me was better than anything else that ever, ever came from my work and my career. When I worked in the sports information office at Alabama, everything I did was with one goal in mind, keeping up to Bryant's high standards. Later, as a reporter covering football in Southeastern Conference, I came into Bryant many times, came in contact with Bryant many times. But none of those times, even when he was kidding me about being out of shape, meant as much to me as those four words, I'm proud of you. 
Even though I didn't know it at the time, it was the last thing he would ever say to me. It was also the best. Man, that's great stuff, Ben. you got to share well, more of that. Well, thank you. Man, it, ben, it has been such a treat, such a pleasure, and a blessing uh, to have you with us today. We're in the two-minute drill now, so if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach you? Well, they can send me an email. Uh, my email address is bensonck, B-E-N-S-O-N-C-K, at charter.net. Or you can go to Facebook and look for Ben Cook. There you go. Well, listen, man, It like I say, it's been great. Uh, why don't you plan on being back with us sometime again real soon? I'd love to, Steve. Believe me, I enjoy doing this. Hey, Ben, you have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, man. Hey, folks, if you want to win the retirement game, you've got to have a good game plan. And let's face it, most of us don't have a good plan in place yet. If you're ready to stop putting off, putting some away, check out annuitiesalabama.com today. They can set you up with strategies that are safe and smart that will get you across that retirement goal line. If your 401k and your IRA aren't getting it done, it's time to find something you'll feel better about. But the game clock's running, folks, and successful people don't procrastinate. So don't wait to to make this the priority you and your family deserve. Check out annuitiesalabama.com today. That's annuitiesalabama.com. Hey, we want to remind you to check out our Bama Talk Facebook page. We're having a lot of fun with it and getting feedback from all over the planet, so make a point to pop in and join the party. And a lot of people still don't know they can access the show three different ways. If you have friends and family that are Bama fans, but they're as far behind the tech curve as I am, help them out and let them know they can find us in the podcast section of iTunes or on Stitcher or at BigBrainsMedia.com. The downloads and subscriptions are free, and when you hit that subscribe button, it saves and stores every show, so you can listen to any Bama Talk episode anytime you like, as much as you like. There's also a free podcast app available for your smartphone or mobile device, so you can listen to the show on the go. You know, like while you're working out, or organizing pictures from the last three national championship celebrations, or writing letters to the NCAA suggesting that they impose the same penalties for lack of institutional control on themselves that they were ready to levy on Miami and anybody else that falls short of their governing greatness. Hey, we want to encourage everybody to make plans to be in the stands for the A-Day game on Saturday, April 20th. The players that put it all on the line deserve a good time in front of a full house. It'll be on one of the ESPN channels, and it's a chance to show the whole country that Bama's fan base is ready for the race back to the Rose Bowl. Admissions free, you'll see tougher competition than in the last two Iron Bowls, and if we fill the stadium, there'll be a bigger crowd there than at the next Iron Bowl. So let's make sure there's a backside in every seat at Bryant-Denny on April 20th. Hey, we're glad to have the opportunity to mention Gary and Elizabeth Wilkins again today. They lead an organization called by provision, and they spend nine months out of every year in Africa drilling wells so people can have clean drinking water. They also run a school and minister to abused and abandoned children. If you'd like to help support them, please go to their website, which is byprovision.org. That's byprovision.org. Well, it's about time to head for the locker room, but we'll be back with a new show next week. So in the meantime, check us out and chime in on the Bama Talk Facebook page. For Mark Phillips, James Spann, and all the people behind Bama Talk on Big Brains Media, till next time, take care, have a blessed day, and roll tide.